0: Thanks, Greg and Debbie. Uh, Jesse and Banyan were supposed to lead worship today, and they're off with some other teams at a Christian leadership uh, conference or retreat up at Camp Judson in the hills. So pray for them uh, that they would be empowered to come back and be leaders here in this church and leaders in Well, we have been... I'll see you. Jesus has described the citizens of the kingdom, their blessedness, their relation to the world, their relation to other people. He has told us of the righteousness us about the beginning of the Christian path here. He urges people to choose it rather than the unbelievers' path. And he gives warnings regarding his believers' walk upon this path. And finally, he contrasts the two final destinations that are available. Later on, to Joshua, God urged the Israelites to choose for themselves to follow Him. In chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, God said, "Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord." There's that choice again. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." In 1 Kings 18 through 21, Elijah exhorted the Israelites in the following words, Elijah came near to all the people. He's on the mountain. And the Israelites were worshiping Baal, and there were 400 prophets of Baal up there with him, the only remaining prophet of God in the land of Israel. And he says to the people, how long will you go limping because different opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if false, then follow him. And the people did not answer to the Lord. They didn't want him. They wanted him to Jeremiah gave the Israelites the choice between life and death in 21.8. He said, And to this people you shall say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. In John 6, Jesus set such a choice before the apostles. All of the people were leaving him because he gave this heart saying about his body being the bread of life and they needed to eat it. And everybody was leaving, and Jesus says to the apostles, you want to go away as well? Give me God's choice given to each of us has always been to choose between God's grace and man's Between life and death, between blessing and curse. God graciously throughout his word and even today shows us. system. Today, with the cult of man and the cult of government, which is going on today, and make no mistake, what we see today in the culture around us is a religion. It's a religion that elevates something above God. Man seeks salvation in and worships science, medicine, government, social justice, thinking that'll save us. That's all we need to save us, everything will be better. Can save but God alone and his accomplishment the saving work of Jesus. God told us the man that we use to that we make a choice between him and whatever else might drag us away. Jesus in this passage makes that choice crystal clear and tells us which we should choose. Choose light, he says. Choose the faith. Well, Jesus first tells us about a gate. The gate is our first. say to you, I am the door of the sheep. In verse 9 he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture." Gates in Jesus' Christ. 14 He says that those who find it are few, which means that it needs to be sought. Last week, we talked about the concept of seeking, active looking, devoting ourselves wholeheartedly to the search, which is what Jesus is telling us here as well. So, Jesus tells us seek the gate that leads to life, make that choice. Now, Jesus clearly tells us that there are only two gates one leading to life one leading to destruction or damnation or death. Now, many today would say, well, that's bigoted, that's exclusive, that's not fair. There must be many ways to life, but it is not bigoted. It is not exclusive. It is God's only way. We cannot change what God tells us is the truth. There is only one gate leading to life, regardless of how people want to make us feel about it. is the truth. We cannot change it. And so we find life only by entering through Jesus' gate. What does he tell us about the gate? It's narrow. It's contrasted with what? The wide gate, right? Now most commentators see this description of the gate being narrowed as picturing it like a turnstile, which admits only one person at a time. Most of us have been through a turnstile. Right? It's cramped. It's made for one person. That's all. One person. Entry through the, is for, through the gate is for individuals, not groups of people, not families, not churches, not religions, but for the individual person. And because the gate is narrow and it's like a turnstile, we can come through with no baggage. Have you tried to get a big piece of baggage through a small turnstile? Can't yeah, no. do that's what we have here. We have the narrow gate acting as a turnstile. In fact, not only can we not bring our baggage with us, It's funny but it's not because we can't bring it's the gate of self-denial we saw that in the songs today we saw that in the prayer today we cannot carry through it this narrow gate the baggage of our sin and self-will in Matthew 16:24, Jesus tells his disciples if anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me That's the, narrow gate. the wide gate speaks only of self-indulgence. Bring what you like. No baggage limits. Everything welcome. No overage charges like the airlines have. That's what the wide gate tells you. When Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler in Luke, he tells them that the way to life is a matter of choosing who will be Lord of your life. Who will have control over you? He urges the rich young ruler to shed his wealth so that he is able to acknowledge Jesus' lordship over his life. And regrettably, the ruler chooses the wide gate of self-indulgence and wealth. He is not able to abandon his badness. The narrow gate requires that we love God with all that we have, everything, that we jettison self, our self-confidence, our self-achievement, our self-righteousness. Our self-satisfaction. The wide gate allows for our self growth. The narrow gate strips us of all we possess rather than simply adding Jesus to all of our accumulated treasures. Because isn't that what most people try to do? I want Jesus, but I want him along with all of the things that I've accumulated. The narrow gate does not give us that option. We exchange all that we are for all that he is. Jesus describes this in Matthew thirteen forty four to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. People would seek to spiritualize That or allegorize that statement of Jesus, but it's absolutely true. We give up all that we are for all that He is. We are stripped of all we possess rather than simply adding Jesus to all of our accumulated treasures. So there's a gate we must enter, which is narrow, and we must enter it without baggage and naked. We must exchange all that we are for all that He is. And finally, to enter the gate, we must repent. We must not only be a descendant of Abraham or a member of a family which is churched, but we must exhibit a changed life. One of the greatest lies that modern preachers tell us is that getting saved is one of the easiest things in the world. You just profess Jesus. It's not true. Yes, Jesus pictures entrance into the gate and into the kingdom as most desirable, but he lets us know that it is not at all easy. J. M. Gibson said. Christ's appeal is made in such a way as shall commend not to the thoughtless, selfless crowd, selfish crowd, but to those whose hearts have been drawn and whose consciences have been touched by his presentation of the blessedness they may expect and the righteousness expected of them. Jesus' appeal is to those who understand the blessedness that they might expect by choosing him and going through the gate, but also the righteousness, Even the person who's already spiritually entered the gate still has a sin nature that rebels against laying aside evil habits and sins. The sinful nature is not completely conquered until the moment of death. We're all going to suffer with those things. Total victory at that last moment is assured because the narrow gate has been entered. and The way of sinners has been exchanged for the way of the righteous basic conversion becomes sanctification as we move along the path, and we're going to talk about that next week. How that verse. But John sums up these thoughts in his first letter, at chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word is in us. Chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which you are. Verse 9. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And in chapter 3, he says, By this we know love, that he lay down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brother's. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? And then he says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. No one who abides in him, whose passed through the gate, keeps on sinning deliberately. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So those are the people that enter through the narrow gate. But by contrast, the one who lives, the one who goes on the wide path through the wide gate lives casually. He lives self and does he is headed for destruction because no one has ever stumbled into the kingdom or wandered through the narrow gate it's never been oh man i just found myself in here this is a really cool place it doesn't happen in the parallel passage to the sermon in luke 13 jesus says strive to enter through the narrow door for many i tell you will seek to enter and will not be Folks, God warns us that the narrow gate is difficult to pass through and requires that we be willing to give up our lives and to take up the life of Christ Jesus. In these self-indulgent days that we live in, we try to make Christianity more user-friendly than it actually is. We tend to try to rely on, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, cheap grace rather than self-denial and following the path of Jesus. Bonhoeffer said... Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. So we've heard of two different gates. we have told we must choose the narrow one to find life. The wide one leads only to destruction. So... We choose narrow. The tragic way that seems right to a man, but whose end is the way of death. Jesus speaks again of this distinction between the many and the few in Matthew twenty two fourteen. He says pointedly, for many are called, but what? Few are chosen. In Romans 9, 27, Paul says, and Isaiah cries out, cried out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sands of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. The few yet, and this is the good news, good news, folks, even though only a few were chosen, Revelation 7-9 tells us this, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So while they might be few in number compared to the many god is saving a multitude and praise god many of us are part of that multitude that has been saved and that is being saved and that can be saved this very day what about this life of self-denial and this life of picking up our cross well some would think that it sounds pretty grim and joyless gotta pick up a cross gotta deny myself but first consider this Are the people on the broad path, the many on the broad path, are they living happy-go-lucky lives? Think of all those stupid comments that you've probably heard. I'd spend weekdays in heaven, but I want to spend weekends in hell, right? I I don't know if any of you had a friend that ever said that, but I did. And it's crazy talk, right? Or people, I don't want to be a Christian. I want to have fun, or I don't want to have to do without things. I want to have nice things in my life. It's all superficial stuff. It's all superficial stuff. Everyone who is living in sin is a slave of sin, as Jesus says in the Gospel of John. And as one commentator says, and it was one of the songs today, as, it's as if a chain binds him to a dungeon wall, and every sin draws the chain tighter until it crushes him. That's what sin is like. It crushes us. Isaiah forty-eight twenty-two says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked... Those on the wide path have no peace. How can they be truly happy? They are not happy. And those few on the constricted narrow path, great peace have they that love your law, says Psalm 119, 165. For the new man that passes through the gate, there is joy unspeakable and full of glory, according to Peter. They are afflicted, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich having nothing yet possessing all things in addition to these treasures here riches far greater await them on the last day so there's two gates two kinds of travelers two ways all of which demand a choice and what then well there's two destinations too through the wide gate and down the wide way is everlasting destruction Daniel 12, 2 tells us, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. In Matthew 3, 12, John the Baptist says this about Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn.